Thanks, Chad and team. I'm encouraged this morning because of Christ. We have a Japanese student staying with us, and we, when we, we've had one before, and now we have a new one, and it's exciting, and it makes me think of a time in 1986 when Christine and I spent a summer in Japan, six weeks on a short-term mission trip. It was there I met a young man named uh, Shintaro Watanabe. He was a medical student who spoke pretty good English, much better than my Japanese, which didn't exist. And I spent a lot of time with Shintaro. We spent a lot of time doing all sorts of things together. And I grew to truly care for this young man. I had a number of opportunities to share the gospel with him, share the truth of who Jesus was, share the truth of what Jesus had done for me and what Jesus would do for him. He really had a difficult time understanding this, especially when I tried to talk to him about his sin. Because in Japanese, in that language, the word for sin is the same, similar word to that of a crime. So criminals are sinners. As long as you're not in jail or haven't been caught, you're not a sinner. Shintaro had many questions that I tried to answer. I even took him to a Japanese church. I introduced him to a Japanese pastor. But he never seemed to understand the gospel. He never seemed to grasp his need for Jesus Christ. I'd given it my best shot, but when I took off in that plane back to LAX, Shintaro was not a believer. Have you ever had that kind of experience, shared the gospel, poured your heart into it, Someone just didn't get it. They just didn't understand. Maybe they even were interested. Maybe they wanted to hear. Maybe they had questions. Maybe even you were able to answer the questions. But they just didn't seem to understand. We don't need to feel alone when we are in that circumstances. Jesus had a similar experience with a man named Nicodemus. And I think we have much to learn from from Jesus and his conversation, his encounter with this man. Let's, let's read it. It's in John chapter 3. We're going to begin at verse 1. We're going to read most of the whole encounter. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. I'm reading from the ESV version, and the verses are going to be up there. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi... We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, And the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you did not, do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Last week we covered the beginning of this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious, moral, intelligent, scholarly leader and teacher of the Jewish people. He was honored and he was respected. He was uh, the cream of the crop. If anyone on his own merits could enter the kingdom of God, it would have been Nicodemus. Nicodemus also believed that Jesus was a teacher sent from God. But an interesting thing there, it says that Jesus did not accept his belief back in chapter 2 because it was not the kind of belief that require, that's required for entry into the kingdom of God. What is required for entry into the kingdom of God? Jesus says in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus makes it clear that entering God's kingdom is contingent on one thing and one thing alone. Spiritual birth. A rebirth. A being born again. Your religion, your morality, your intelligence, your standing in the community. None of it will get you into the kingdom of God. You must be born again. You must be born from above. God must do a work in your life. Jesus has explained it and illustrated what this new birth involves. Nicodemus seems interested, but in verse 9 we see Nicodemus still doesn't get it. He said to him, how can these things be? Nicodemus has a problem, or problems, and that's, that's our first point for today. Nicodemus's problems, and there are three that Jesus spells out in verses 10, 11, and 12. And we need to pay attention to these problems. Nicodemus is some guy that lived 2,000 years ago, and he's dead. Why do we care about his problems? Well, because they're the same problems that people in our world struggle with. These are the problems we'll encounter as we seek to engage our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today we'll see the problems of Nicodemus, but more importantly, we'll see the solution provided by Jesus. Now, the first problem is pretty clear. Nicodemus, he didn't, he didn't understand. He didn't understand. He didn't get what Jesus was communicating. In verse 10, we read, Jesus answered, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet do not understand these things? In verse 7, Jesus said, Don't marvel at what I've said. Excuse me. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Jesus had explained the new birth. He'd explained it in terms that Nicodemus should have understood. Now let's be clear. Nicodemus, again, Jewish religious teacher, understood the Old Testament. So he's referring, he's sharing it in that context to this man. He was a teacher of Israel. He knew the Old Testament. 
He knew the prophetic words of Ezekiel. Remember, we looked at this last week. I will sprinkle, where God says, I will sprinkle water on you and you shall be clean from your uncleanness and from your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the Old Testament rendition of the new birth. The new birth, being born again, wasn't a new concept. It's right there in the Old Testament, which Nicodemus was a teacher of, an expert in. Jesus says that Nicodemus shouldn't be surprised at the fact that entering the kingdom of God is contingent. It hangs in the balance on a work of the Spirit, not on human efforts. But Nicodemus, like so many in our world, didn't understand. What do you mean my salvation is not based on my own efforts? What are you trying to say? That means my efforts, everything I've accomplished, who I am and what I've done are are worthless. How can that be? It doesn't make sense. That's not what the world teaches. That's not what other religions teach. I don't get it. Jesus then goes on in verse 11 to expand on Nicodemus' problem. He didn't understand, therefore, he didn't receive. Verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Jesus says we. Who's the we? Could be the Trinity. It could be Jesus and the Old Testament prophets. Could be Jesus and John the Baptist who was about preaching the same message at the same time. The text doesn't make clear who the we is. But what is clear is that even though Nicodemus is hearing reliable testimony, testimony from Jesus himself and from others, he's unwilling to receive their testimony. Nicodemus is not among those who John describes in in chapter 1, verse 12, but to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Nicodemus has not received Jesus' testimony and therefore... He can't receive Jesus. Why hasn't he received? Verse 12 gets to the heart of of his problem. He didn't understand or receive because he didn't believe. He did not believe. If I have told you earthly things, verse 12, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus' third and really his ultimate problem was unbelief. Jesus says, I've taken you as far as I can by way of explanation. I've declared the need for spiritual birth. I've explained it. I've illustrated it in in terms that you should understand. But you ask, how can this be? You keep asking me for more explanations of the new birth, but you don't understand, you don't receive, and you don't believe what I've told you so far. How could you possibly understand the, the heavenly things that that I have come to reveal. The Apostle Paul captured Nicodemus's and, and many other people's problems perfectly. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus about spiritual realities. But he didn't understand, he didn't receive, he didn't believe. Because he was a natural man. He'd not been born again. He'd not received the Spirit of God. Clearly, Nicodemus has some major problems. Problems that he couldn't solve on his own. Problems that were once our problems, if you remember back. And problems that most in our world still have today. They don't understand, they don't receive or believe their need for spiritual birth. They believe this lie from the pit of hell. That people are basically, basically good. We just need a little help. We need a little more education. A more supportive society. They don't believe the truth. Scripture summarized... by the prophet Jeremiah over 600 years before Christ. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? At our core, in our heart, we're wicked. No amount of therapy, no amount of self-help books, not even Dr. Phil or Oprah together can help us. But the world does not understand. Don't receive or believe. I recently read a story about a series of interviews with the, the singer Bono, Bono of the, of the rock band U2. It illustrates this. You know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but most of the time when, when interviewers, when magazines and TV people interview rock stars, they just hang on every word. No matter what they say, they, they praise them for their thoughts. But, but this journalist asked Bono whether he agreed that religion is the cause of appalling problems. Bono, do you think religion is the cause of appalling problems? Bono answered, that depends on the religion. He divided religions between grace and karma. You're familiar with karma? It's the idea that what goes around comes around. That we ultimately end up getting what we deserve. It's works-based religion. In one form or another, This is what every religion apart from Christianity teaches. Bono said, I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. Doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins under the cross. It's not our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven. Now, no matter what you think of Bono, that was a clear and humble presentation of the Christian gospel. And it came from the lips of one of the most popular human beings on the, on the planet. So did the journalist praise Bono's message? Wow, that's a grace. Let me think about that concept. Not really. Even a rock star is rejected when he presents Jesus Christ. The interviewer replied, the son of God who takes away the sins of the world, it's close to lunacy in my view. People don't like to hear about the cross. Like Nicodemus, they don't understand, they don't receive, and they don't believe. Jesus has declared the need for spiritual birth. He's explained and illustrated its importance. Nicodemus doesn't understand, receive, or believe. What's Jesus going to do? What would you do? Spend some time with this person, you just don't get it. No, I I can do it myself. 
When you're trying to communicate spiritual reality to someone who is, as Nicodemus was, spiritually dead, what do you do? Jesus could have given up. Well, since you don't get it, Nicodemus, I don't have any more to say to you. That might have been what I would have done. I'm done with you. But that's not what Jesus does. What he does is important for us to see. It's important not only for our faith, but it's important in our world. Those who desperately need to be born again. Nicodemus had a problem, and the people in our world share those problems. Nicodemus, excuse me, Jesus didn't give up on Nicodemus. And we shouldn't give up on those who God has placed in our world. Because as we know, and hopefully have experienced, there's a solution to these problems. What's the solution? As even Bono knows, Jesus is the solution. That's our second point. How can this be? How can someone be born again, Nicodemus asked. Jesus' first answer was that the new birth is, beca- is possible because of the sacrifice of the Son of Man. The sacrifice of the Son of Man. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. This is the reason we can be born again, because the Son of Man and his sacrifice. Now, we might not get that from this verse. We might not understand, what does he mean by ascending and and descending to heaven? But Nicodemus would have understood. Son of Man is is the title Jesus used most frequently for himself. Most people think Son of Man is a, recept, is a reference to Jesus' humanity. You know, Son of God, the divinity, Son of Man, humanity. But there's more to it than that. The term Son of Man actually comes from a vision shown in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, chapter 7. Nicodemus would have been familiar with this. In the vision, Daniel's given the privilege of, of looking into heaven. And he saw the Ancient of Days... The Ancient of Days is a reference to God the Father taking His heavenly throne, God in His rightful position, sovereign, ruler. Then Daniel saw that, and we read in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, what Daniel saw, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. What Daniel saw was the ascension. There had been a descension. And then Daniel saw the ascension of Jesus into heaven. The Son of Man, therefore, is is the title of the glorious Prince of Heaven the one who humbled himself to descend to earth, to take on human form, and having accomplished the work of our salvation, he ascended to heaven in a cloud of glory to receive his kingdom from the Father. How can this be? How can I be born again, Nicodemus asked. Jesus answered, the new birth is made possible by the sacrifice, the descending of the Son of Man. The Son of Man taking on flesh, becoming one of us, and then giving His life, and then ascending back to the Father. Jesus then goes on to share with Nicodemus what that sacrifice will look like. 
what the Son of Man will do to make it possible for people to be born again. And the way that Jesus does this is by using a picture. A picture from the Old Testament. Again, a picture that Nicodemus would have been totally familiar with. It's a picture of a serpent. Kind of strange, huh? Jesus is talking about snakes. Verse 14, John chapter 3. And as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The event that Jesus is taking, uh, referring to and that Nicodemus would have totally zeroed in on takes place in the Numbers, chapter 21. It takes place during that 40 years the children of Israel are, are wandering in the, in the desert wilderness. And in verse 4 and 5 of Numbers 21, we read this. From, Ma- from Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. There's no food and we loathe the food we have. Not a happy group. Israel's impatient. They speak against God. They speak against God's appointed leader, Moses. They don't understand why God has brought them out of Egypt. They're not willing to receive his provision of of food that that he's given them. Basically, they don't believe that God knows what he's doing. They don't believe that God has their best interests at heart. They don't understand, they don't receive, and they don't believe. Sound familiar? And in verse 6, we see the Lord's response. This is God's response, not my response, God's. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Okay. There you go. Well, after that, the people then confess their sins and ask Moses to pray for them. Moses prays, and then in verses 8 and 9, we read God's solution. Listen to this. This Takes us back to John chapter 3, or takes us forward to John chapter 3. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a, on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And it, if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is the serpent that Jesus compares the Son of Man himself to. And there are four things that I'd like to point out that Jesus is illustrating by using this picture. Four things that should be at the heart of our gospel message. They're at the heart of Jesus' gospel message. The first is this. People need to get this, that sin brings death. People need to understand the consequences to sin. Death comes to those who are bitten. Without divine intervention... Those who had been bitten would have died, and deservedly so. They were rebelling against the holy God who had delivered them from Egypt. They were bitten by fiery snakes and would have deservedly died. The poison is in them. There's nothing they can do to save themselves. Now, in Jesus' analogy, in this picture, the bitten people would cover humanity. All of us, every individual has, in a sense been bitten 
by the fiery serpent of sin. And it's that sin that earns physical and spiritual death. Paul wrote the beginning of Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. What you earn from your sin, what I earn from my sin is death. So first, this picture that Jesus brings illustrates that sin brings death. Second, the picture illustrates that sin brings God's wrath. The serpents are sent from God. He sent them. God's wrath is on the children of Israel for their sins of ingratitude, of unbelief, of rebellion. We don't like to talk about God's wrath. It's a grave error if we ignore it if we ignore it in our message, even if we try to soften its reality. Jesus didn't. We should never forget God's wrath remains on all who reject him. The apostle, at the end of chapter 3, the apostle John wrote these words. Listen, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Amen. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That is the reality of the situation. God's wrath remains because our sin, our disobedience, and our unbelief. We're not basically good people that just need a little work. We're sinful by nature and by practice. In our pre-born-again state, it's who we are and it's what we do. And it, it results in death and it results in the wrath of God. Now that's the bad news. Pretty bad. Now for the good news. Now for the great news. Third, Jesus provides salvation. Jesus compares himself on the cross to this bronze image of a serpent that's been lifted up. And as the serpent was lifted up to provide salvation for the Israelites, Jesus would be lifted up on a cross to provide salvation for humanity. Jesus is the source of healing the source of rescue from this poison of sin and the wrath of God. We can finish Romans 6.23 now. Yes, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, we're rescued from sin, death, and wrath. We're given eternal life. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him he god made excuse me for our sake he god made him jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him in christ we might become the righteousness of god jesus in some amazing way i don't i don't understand it he was made sin He was made our sin so that we might be saved. Because of Christ, salvation, eternal life is a a free gift. It's free to us. But it was very costly to Jesus. We need to remember that. Never think his sacrifice was easy. The sacrifice of the Son of Man cost him much. Remember his words from the cross When he was lifted up for our sin, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And I don't claim to understand what took place between the Father and Son in the Trinity at that moment, but it's huge. 
It caused a separation. From time immemorial, before time existed, there had never been a separation between the Father and Son. But at that moment, when Jesus took on our sin, when Jesus took on the wrath of God, He was separated from that perfect relationship He had shared with His Father from the beginning and beyond. Why? So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. That motivation to become the righteousness of God, I don't know what is. So sin brings death, Sin brings the wrath of God. But thanks be to God, Jesus provides salvation from both. Now, we have one final thing that this picture of this serpent makes clear. That is, we have to respond. There has to be a response. Salvation comes when you look. All the children of Israel had to do in order to be saved from God's wrath was to look at the bronze serpent hanging on the pole. This was God's provision for their sin in that moment. And Jesus says, all you have to do in order to be saved from death and wrath, all you have to do to receive eternal life is to believe. Believe. As, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Believing is looking. Without Christ, like Nicodemus, we in a real way are looking to ourselves for salvation. We're looking to ourselves, our abilities, our morality, our religion. But to believe means we, we take our eyes off ourselves. We're looking to ourselves and we take our eyes off ourselves and we look to Christ. We look to Jesus to heal our lives. We look to Jesus to transform our souls. Salvation comes to those who look to Jesus as He's lifted up. So there you have an outline of the Gospel. Sin entered in. Sin brings death. Sin brings God's wrath. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ. And it comes to those who look to Him. That's the Gospel. That's the message Jesus is proclaiming to Nicodemus. Jesus told Nicodemus that he must be born again. Nicodemus didn't understand, receive, or believe. He was the man without the Spirit. The man who did not receive the things of the Spirit of God. But Jesus didn't give up. Instead, Jesus gave him this picture... A picture of himself. The Son of Man lifted up for the sins of humanity. What did Nicodemus need? What does every unbeliever need? They need to see Jesus. They need to see Jesus lifted up. They need to see Jesus crucified for their sins. They need to see the sacrifice of the Son of Man. And what's our part in that? In their seeing It brings us to our application, our final point this morning, our application. We're to look and point. We need to both look 
to Jesus, lifted up on the cross ourselves on a, on a daily basis. The Apostle Paul understood this. He said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Christ crucified is the message that has to be communicated. It's only because of Christ's death on the cross. Nothing else that the spiritual birth is possible. Jesus on the cross has opened the doors wide to the God's kingdom. We now have the opportunity to enter in. And we also have the opportunity to invite others to join us. Come along. How? How is someone born again? How does someone receive eternal life? Whoever believes in him may have eternal life, Jesus says. Whoever believes in the one who hung from the cross. The one who took the wrath of God that we might not have to suffer it. The one who opened the doors of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says to Nicodemus, believe. Look to the Son of Man. Look to me on the cross. Each of us needs to continue to look to Jesus. We may have looked at him for the first time many years ago, but we need to continue to to look to him on a daily basis. Never forget, never, ever forget from whence you've come. Never forget what your sin cost. Jesus Christ. We must look to Jesus, lifted up on that cross with a, a heart of worship. The cross is the, is the reason for our worship, giving him glory and honor and praise for his amazing sacrifice. And once we've looked, once we understand, once we receive, and once we believe, once we've been born again, we've received the, the Spirit of God then we're given a responsibility as his followers, his ambassadors. This is what we're talking about in this series, our responsibility to engage the world. And that responsibility is to point men and women to Jesus lifted up, to point them to the one who was lifted up, who was crucified for their sins. We must be like John the Baptist, who we talked about several weeks ago. We must say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There he is. There's what he did on the cross for you. We need to point others to Jesus. We need to point others to the sacrifice he made. We need to make it clear that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, for my sins, for your sins. We need to make it utterly clear. This is the the lie that people are believing right now. We need to make it clear that no amount of morality or religion or intelligence or respect in the community gets you into the kingdom of God. It doesn't get you anywhere. Remember Paul in Philippians chapter 3 recites his whole heritage and then he says, it's garbage. It's nothing. We need to proclaim the good news that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This was Jesus' message to Nicodemus. This is our message to our world. We could spend a lot of time in John 3.16. In fact, we did at Christmas, if you want to go back and look at those messages. The bottom line is because of God's love, he sent his son. And because of that, 
we don't have to perish. We don't have to die in the wilderness like those who were bitten by those fiery serpents. If we would but look to Jesus on the cross, if we would but believe in him, then the gates of his kingdom are wide open to us. We'll receive the gift of eternal life through Christ when we look to Jesus. Then we need to point others to Jesus. And when you're pointing people to Jesus, and they don't get it, their immediate response is, I I don't understand. What are you talking about here? How can these things be? Don't be discouraged. Nicodemus has something to teach us here as well. We see that in in the epilogue. Epilogue. So what happened to Nicodemus? This encounter ends with a a definite, with, with, without any definite conclusion. We don't hear from Nicodemus after he says, how can these things be? We don't know what he says after that. Nicodemus has been witnessed to by Jesus Christ himself. And we don't see an, a, a, an immediate result. But Nicodemus does show up again in the book of John. In John chapter 7, we find him speaking speaking up for Jesus before the Sanhedrin. Remember, he's a member of the the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, and and there he is. They want to take Jesus. They want to kill him right then, and it's Nicodemus who speaks up for Jesus. It seems that the Spirit is still working in the heart of Nicodemus. He had not forgotten the words that Jesus had shared with him. Finally, the day came when Jesus, when what Jesus spoke of in John chapter 3, actually took place. And Nicodemus was there. As he watched Jesus dying on the cross, as he watched Jesus lifted up, what do you think he was hearing? What was echoing in his head? The Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Finally, Nicodemus saw the light. He saw not merely a teacher, not simply a a rabbi, not just a worker of miracles. He saw upon the cross the Savior of his soul. He saw his sins washed clean by the precious blood of Christ. He understood, he received, he believed, he was born again. How do we know? We know because of what happened right after the crucifixion. John says in Chapter 19, verses 38 and 39. After these things, after the crucifixion, after Jesus said, it is finished, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing mixed myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Finally, Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus by night, he's there identifying publicly with Jesus Christ in the light of day. He publicly says, I'm a follower of Christ. What an exciting end to the story of Nicodemus. But it hadn't happened when Jesus was explaining the new birth. Remember, he didn't understand, he didn't receive, and he didn't believe. We don't get to see it in John chapter 3. Nicodemus is a great reminder to us a reminder that our our witness is never wasted. Even if we 
We don't see those immediate results that we crave. We don't know what God is doing. We don't know what seeds he's planting. I saw that with my Japanese friend Shintaro. A few months after we had returned to the U.S., I got a letter from him. In the letter, he said he had become a Christian. Once I left, he continued to go to, go to church and the church that I had taken him to, and he continued to meet with the pastor. And, it, and in time, with much prayer, he understood his need for Jesus. He understood that he was a sinner. He understood and he received and he believed and he was born again. So be encouraged that even when the message you share seems to fall on deaf ears, God can. God does still work. Richard D. Phillips, in his, in his book, Jesus the Evangelist, says it well, and I just conclude with these words. In many instances, and often in surprising ways, God reveals himself finally and opens eyes to his light. Let us never underestimate how powerful are the seeds of the gospel. And let us marvel at the saving grace of God when each sinner repents, believes, and find salvation at the cross of our Savior. Look to Jesus. Point to Jesus. Plant the seeds of the gospel that God might use them to draw men and women and children to himself. We're going to pray to that end. And I just want to mention quickly, it's an opportunity that you have in the next couple of weeks. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating Palm Sunday. We're going to be celebrating Easter. And we'll be pointing people here in this place, we'll be pointing people to Jesus. There are cards, and you can invite maybe people you've had conversations with, maybe as a way of follow-up. You've explained to them. You've talked to them about Jesus. It's another opportunity. Bring them out among the body of Christ to hear of, of Christ's death on the cross and his powerful resurrection. The, the cards are out on that table as you leave. Take a few and just give them to friends, to family who need to be pointed Jesus, would you pray with me to that end? Father God, I pray for each person here. I pray first of all that we've looked to you, that we've given our lives to you, that we've understood you and what you've done for us, that we've received you as our Lord and Savior and that we've believed in your name, that we're yours and you've in an amazing way given us a new birth, made us new creatures in Christ Jesus, Lord. Help us to continue to look to you, Lord, but let us be people that leave this place looking for, for ways and opportunities and direction from you to, to point others to Jesus, to point others to the one who gave everything for them. Lord, make us into those kind of people. Use us for your honor, for your glory, for your sake. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Stand with us as we worship.